you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong. I'm Rich. I'm Henry. Hello, Rich. How are you doing, mate? Good. Yeah, very good. We are recording in person again, which is cool because... I don't have to press any buttons on my computer to try and sync up our audio, so that's nice and easy. Yes, yeah, it's it's always nice to do these in person. I do I do prefer getting together for them rather than doing it over over the internet. Yes, although this time we're not drinking beer. No, uh, it's a bit more post beer. So if we do sound like we're starting to fall asleep, then our apologies. We're not. We're very excited. I'm very excited about this band. Well, You're still to be convinced, I think. Yeah. Well, how about you explain? the band, who they are, and the album, and then let's go into some detail. Yep, so I have brought Field Music and Making a New World, which is ridiculously contemporary for us. We barely do any albums after about, what, 2010? Yeah, well, when was this released? uh, This was 2019? No, 2020. Jeez, this is, yeah, so bang up to date for an I Might Be Wrong episode. (laughs) Well, you say that... But then when you listen to them, they do have quite a retro sound, which I'll I'll go into a bit more detail as we talk through this one. So Field Music are, in my words, a criminally underrated rock band from Sunderland, Tyne and Weir, England, formed in 2004. So the core of the band is the Brewis brothers, David and Peter, mm. and they collaborate, tour, play alongside a band that consists of Andrew Lothar, Kev Dosdale, and Liz Corney. And I think they as collaborators are often involved in the recordings, but the band, it's a weird setup. Basically, the band is the brothers, and then they bring people in as they need to, I think. Mm -hmm. They've been going since 2004. That's eight albums and a handful of EPs so far, which is impressive in itself. And while they've cropped up here and there for me, I hadn't really paid attention until recently. So 2016's Common Time had a track on it that grabbed my attention, which is The Noisy Days Are Over, but I wasn't the only one. So the one, the only Prince tweeted about it on release. Which I can understand that because of their sound. How would you describe their sound? So it's quite a retro inspired by late 60s and 70s bands so yeah the album that we're talking about making a new world in particular puts me in mind of bowie's berlin era it is art rock isn't it yep it's got some elements of funk i guess Mm -hmm. it's not experimental but it they do like to experiment yeah does that make any sense at all yeah it's not i don't think it's challenging enough to be considered truly experimental and they're not doing stuff that's hugely original they're doing that sound in a very very well-rounded almost perfectionist way to me this sound is so so well executed and i've seen them live a few times and they're brilliant they're so tight and this album was actually recorded three quarters of it was recorded live wow it doesn't sound like that it sounds like an album that's been mastered in the studio that's been poured over and played but they basically it's a concept album that was produced as a project for the imperial war museum around world war one and the impacts of world war one on 
humanity and society and so it's it's quite a quite an odd concept to have an album built off that but it was designed as a piece that they would play live and so they played it live a couple of times and then went into the studio and recorded it as they'd been playing it right but it doesn't sound like that it sounds so tight and so perfect that you would never have thought that yeah i struggle with it a bit and maybe it's just that i haven't played it enough but the first thing i thought of was um there's a canadian band called of montreal who are in a similar kind of vein but it's like they do this music on acid and they're just Mm -hmm. more off the wall more kind of crazy and some of of montreal sounds i love some of them i kind of they don't quite grab me but it feels like this is just the stuff that grabs me from their style and that kind of super over-the-top art rock these guys don't that's just a bit too staid for that it's a bit too plain and and the flip side of that is i keep reading reviews which say you need to listen to this a lot you can't, you can't it's not just instantly accessible easy music to to put on and i just can't and it they're i don't know it's another pavement like band for me where i just i try to get it and i get that they've got a good following and i get people liking them and you keep telling me about them and you're like they're really really good and i just <laughs> my, my ears go come on where is this where's this sound i'm gonna take issue with plain because i think there's so much going on in their music i agree with you that they're not massive experimental rock but they're certainly more than just a standard rock outfit in terms of where their sound places so critics have compared their music to stuff as diverse as steely dan xtc prefab sprout peter gabriel scritty politty talking heads and todd rundgren i've also heard fleetwood mac david bowie i mean there's all sorts of those but it's all that sort of era and they do have other things that pop up so there's like some 80s poppy moments and things like that in there but it's the core of their sound is like you say it's that art rock thing Mm, i see peter gabriel yeah i get get that vibe yeah music blog the fantastic hope suggests that they have a an unself-conscious anti-fashion stance yes and their wayward pop from the fringes of academia is one of the most worthwhile ways in which rock indie guitar white music pop whatever might evolve and I I like that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, because that sort of sits with how I feel about them. Yeah, and they've been very well received. Their music generally gets a lot of thumbs up, right? But I just can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there's an element of so there are people like me who absolutely love them, and I do wonder whether they will continue to remain cult famous because of all the reasons that you're putting forward. Because I saw them at End of the Road over the summer. And they played the main stage in the middle of the afternoon. And I thought there'd be a massive crowd to see them because I love their music and I hear them on six music all the time. And mm. that's a very six music crowd. And it was it was half empty. Right. It's like, where is everyone? Surely you're all wanting to be here to watch field music. And yet there wasn't the draw. And I wonder whether maybe they're just a band that's in the wrong era. You think if they were doing this mm. kind of music in the 70s, they'd be lauded as you know pioneers and all that kind of stuff so we've we've mentioned they've started back in 2006 i guess was their first album sometime around then mm-hmm. so they've re- released a lot has their sound evolved or where is it and, and where does making a new world fit into their back catalogue i think it has 
evolved. I think it's become more accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't listened to loads of their early stuff. I've tried to dive into it, but the problem is I keep trying to dive in whilst also being obsessed with the two albums they've released over the last two years. And so it's been very difficult for me to really get focused enough to listen to that stuff. Yep. Common Time is quite similar in feel. And there's never... It never feels like they stray too far from the core of what they like to sound like. But there's definitely... You listen to the early stuff versus now and it's it's much more focused. It's much more understanding of this is what we want to accomplish and i wonder whether the early stuff is just a band finding its way a little bit yeah 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 true and i don't know enough to really say that for sure yet it's Mm -hmm. something that i i have it on my huge long laundry list of music listening things to do is to go back and listen to more of that early stuff but there are people who are long-time fans who have been fans since the mid thousands who basically are complaining that their sound has gone away from that original sound so maybe it has evolved more than more than i've said and one thing that's really interesting is that retro sound i couldn't put my finger on it but one of the things that i read in an interview david mentions the percussion and how they like to have their percussion sound Mm -hmm. he says I don't like the sound of contemporary rock records. I'm not that interested in trying to make the drums pierce your eardrums every time they hit. I'm not into that. I want to hear the sound of someone playing in a room. Yep. And their drumming does sound like that. It's much more of the kind of, you know, Mick Fleetwood could hit a drum, but it doesn't pierce your ears because they're not trying to super compress every every hit of the percussion. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And that kind of keeps with its kind of funky style of it they're not trying to blow you away they're just they've got some music to play and they want you to hear the whole thing yeah one of the things that i love about them is they're very self-deprecating yeah. uh, both in interviews and live watching them like play live the, the brothers are constantly joking with each other and taking the piss out of each mm-hmm. other and there's this easy thing of just not taking themselves too seriously like they take making the music the way they want to make it seriously but they don't take themselves too seriously if that makes sense yeah which is really nice because sometimes you get you see bands on stage and they're either petrified or they they hide behind a mask or they look at their feet and you go to a live gig and you want to see a bit of interaction and you want to see people and it sounds like they do that which is different to some bands they do there's a there's another great quote around the self-deprecating thing of we haven't got a clue what we're doing we make music about not knowing what we're doing we make music about not understanding things i don't want us to come across like settle down and enjoy our wisdom as frankly (laughs) we don't feel like we have any i think our lack of wisdom and the gap between what we want to understand and what we actually understand is worth making music about so based on that to come up with a concept album about World War One, that's a pretty big leap for a band that kind of don't really back themselves because I would have thought if you think you're worried about your material, it sounds like making a World War One concept album could just cause a bit of trouble. Yeah, and I think part of that is they're not, not confident about their own abilities. They just tend to downplay them. Yeah. The whole thing came about, they were invited to do this. They The, yeah. the record was commissioned by the Imperial War Museum. And so it was someone inviting them in rather than necessarily them just deciding to make this okay. concept album and then pitching it to the Imperial War Museum or anything like that. Yeah. So making a new world is 
actually the name of the Imperial War Museum season that this was part of, because it's the centenary of the end of the mm-hmm. First World War. But it's also the name of a painting called We Are Making a New World by the war artist Paul Nash. And that image is the visualization of the vibrations from when the gunfire ceased at the exact moment that the war ended. Wow. Okay, when, that's cool. when it was signed. It's a sound ranging image, basically. So it's it illustrates artillery fire on that Western Front. And the band say the image shows the minute leading up to eleven AM on the eleventh of November nineteen eighteen and the minute immediately afterwards. So it's one minute of oppressive juddering noise and one minute of near silence. And the start of the album opens with sound range and silence. And those two tracks are the same length as those recordings Mm -hmm. to show that kind of contrast. And it's almost the intro of this is how the war ended. And they consciously decided they didn't want to make an album of songs about the First World War. They wanted to make an album of songs about what that led to in in humanity Mm -hmm. and human life and society after the World War. Yeah, which is a cool take on it. And suddenly, when you you see an whole work about sound, then you then making a concept album doesn't seem too strange, right? And I like the concepts. So it opens with sound ranging, silence, and coffee or wine, which sort of feels like one piece when you listen to it. it doesn't really feel like three separate pieces of music. So you've got the bombardment in sound ranging whether the percussion actually is designed to sound like artillery being fired and bombs crashing into the ground in the distance mm. and then the silence after that is this uneasy piano piece that again sort of captures that uneasy mood mm-hmm. of is this really the end yeah. where do we go from here all that kind of stuff sure. and then coffee or wine ponders that armistice agreement from the perspective of an officer returning home Mm -hmm. so the opening lines of so this is the end can i pack up my troubles now and ship them all home shoot myself home for good again this is a gorgeous piece i love the piano and the guitar here it really leads everything through it winds it feels quite bright and breezy but there's an emptiness in the lyrics so this is a soldier that's been at war for a long time coming back to a very changed society with you know, wife and children and family who might no longer really recognize who he is because they've changed and he's changed. Mm. So you've got the lines, who's left around the doors, will I recognize you all or have you grown away from me since I've been away so long? And I guess this, I don't know whether this is part of my, why my brain can't compute, but that to me sounds like a pretty tragic affair. And you listen to their music and it's still got this kind of, this kind of, beat and it's still kind of funky and it's still kind of delivered with a pretty straight bat and there isn't that much emotion in his voice and my brain goes hang on it it can't quite fit those Mm -hmm. two things together because some bands would have gone full-on melodrama and gone way over the top but field musical haven't gone anywhere with it they've just i think you can hear a wistfulness in his voice from this one Uh, i guess maybe i've learnt to interpret his voice more yes and this might be the bit that a few people mention who talk about field music is you you can't just listen to the album once and get it oh absolutely and we've talked about this in past podcast episodes i love juxtaposition of upbeat 
funky chirpy cheerful whatever music with sadness Mm -hmm. loneliness whatever in the lyrics i i love that combination and they do that really well here but it's not the only vibe it's not all just downers from yeah yeah. people coming back and feeling like they don't fit in coffee or wine then drops into best kept garden Mm -hmm. this is a bit of a shapeshifter of a track so it starts out pretty straightforward but flows into this area theoretical section and then breaks back out again which i really love and one thing i wanted to mention is you might have noticed this almost every track flows into the next track yes i have noticed that that's quite cool i do like that it's um it's very deliberate okay so the reason why they wanted to do this was they felt like because this was designed to be a piece performed at the imperial war museum initially as a whole from front to end all in one go he didn't want audiences to feel like they weren't sure whether they should be clapping or not between the songs because of i guess the environment that you're watching a live act is different to a regular gig environment so they decided that rather than doing that they just do the whole thing so that it all flows into each other and people can just stand there and absorb it Mm. so this is where it led them to getting to what I mentioned before, recording it live. And one of the quotes from David in an interview with Pop Matters, he talks about a week after the second performance, we came into the studio and did two full takes of it and made most of the record from those two full takes we'd done. It was a complicated thing to do as we were trying to do it to a sequence percussion and synth track because everything had to be synced to the visuals. Right, yeah. So what you're listening to on the album is actually pretty much what it would have sounded like if you were there seeing it as they were performing it live that's cool they're so tight as a there's a band that it makes sense that you can record something that sounds this perfect yeah in that way and i guess that maybe that's another thing that that i've missed is that because some bands are frustrating and that you hear them recorded and you think awesome and then you go and see them and you think what <laughs> it just doesn't work on stage it's just not good the musicians aren't as good as you would expect them to be whereas if you know that you can go to a field music gig and they will be good and they will play music really well then it almost kind of it backs them up and it means you can listen to it and get confidence in a new album like this and and go oh, yeah if i see this live it'll it'll be good yeah absolutely i wanted to touch on a change of air this is a beautiful track so piano layered with harmonies and acoustic guitar it wasn't what i originally thought it was going to be about so from the name of it and from some of the initial snatches of lyrics that i heard i'd assumed it was more about the sort of changing of the guard of ruling leaders across europe in the post-world war one situation it's what i would have thought with a title like that yeah right it's actually about the pioneering skin graft work of Dr. Harold Gillies. Right. So this is a guy who was doing skin graft work on really badly wounded soldiers coming back from the front. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, he really dedicated himself to pioneering gender reassignment surgery and the work around that. That's actually hinted in the final two lines, which I didn't really get for a while of... If the mind won't fit the body, let the body fit the mind. Huh. It's funny because a lot of bands would throw that out as a lyric just because it sounds nice. Right. And then you realise that there's all this depth behind it 
that the band intended and uh, yeah it's tricky because you want to you almost want to know this stuff when you're listening to the album but i can't pick up on that and you kind of have to dig deeper but if you hadn't told me this was a a concept album some of the titles give it away but there's a, there's depth here that you just don't realize at first glance yeah i think there's also an element of because it's it's a concept album but it's quite a broad concept so things that came out of stuff that was going on during the war it allows you to throw yourself into basically everything yep and so some of the stuff they've picked is more unusual so i'm going to jump to only in a man's world Mm -hmm. to illustrate this so only in a man's world is probably the only rock song i've ever heard that's specifically about the invention of sanitary towels what well not the (laughs) maybe not the invention of the original ones but the more modern version of them basically the company that was manufacturing surgical dressings for world war one soldiers when oh yeah women women bleed yeah. every month yeah maybe we should produce a product with this technology that we've come up with that can help them and it's a very 80s pop track so it almost sounds like a queen track to me right and there's this line why should a woman feel ashamed and also another line of things would be different if the boys bled, if the boys bled too. Which, which is, is which totally, is totally true. true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's a great one of, again, it, it's absolutely something that's an evolution of things coming from war and the, the atrocities of war into a positive thing that can help people in everyday life. But it's a completely random one to pick. Yeah. But then maybe that's why this album doesn't sound so downbeat because right. it is looking for hope and stuff like that. And a lot of it is hopeful, positive stories. There's a number of them talk about this in Do You Read Me, which is, I think, about the freedom that we gain from development of ground-to-air communication. Right. So the fact they developed this for talking to pilots in World War One, because, mm-hmm. I mean, air flight was in the early days. People forget that in World War One, it's all biplane, prop yeah. plane you know people basically rolling a bomb over the edge <laughs> over the edge of the aircraft to, yeah. to drop on you know the german side of the lines the development there i mean that enabled global travel effectively in the end because if you've got multiple planes up in the air you need to be able to talk to them yeah you can't just have prop planes flying around all over the place with no idea of what else is going on yeah true and so that's another one that is the start of this track is all percussion and angular guitars, which I presume you're like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, it's the way the songs are kind of, they're kind of janky. You kind of, your head nods along with it to try and keep up with the beat. You kind of have to pay attention and maybe yeah. I'm just too lazy <laughs> because if you're just sitting there and letting the music wash over you in the background, it it doesn't really grab you. It's a definitely way. a sit down and pay attention album. Yeah maybe that's where you haven't given it enough of an option there to just sit and listen maybe i'm just too lazy <laughs> possibly looking for kind of instant gratification you know the kind of oh there's a there's a great hook i love the song <laughs> whereas this is a little bit more i don't know i don't know i think it's just me i think this is because there's clearly a lot of skill involved in making this album which you right. can hear right it's it's not like they're just a three piece that have come back from the pub and just recorded right. a bunch of 2 minute songs and they are quite chameleon like across genres so common language part one and part two i love they're almost pink floydian in terms of the more proggy 
psychedelic nature of them but there's electronica in here that feels craft worky yeah and it's great i really really like this and one of the reviews suggested that there's echoes of beach boys in here as well yeah there's all sorts and i maybe that's part of it as well maybe there's just so many different ideas just swirling around yeah between nations is another track that's got a similar vibe to it and that that might be actually the one that's got the beach boys thing in there yeah but yeah all, all really great but right in my wheelhouse yeah prog electronica psychedelic just so much of this style is just a bunch of stuff that i love yeah absolutely uh, and i get it i completely get it i've got another one uh which we were listening to earlier before we got on this which is money is a memory yep and that's all about post-world war reparations and the echoes that those reparations had through generations and across generations in all of those countries that were involved it's quite a deep way of thinking about it there's a line in there of money 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 lasts longer than a memory yeah so there's this idea yeah, yeah. that it, the impact of that bounces through time but it's really catchy this is the one that got my attention that really pulled me in to start listening to this album in the first place it got played on six music a lot and initially i thought it was something from the 70s that i just missed out on or didn't really know and then yeah. it kept getting played and i'm like oh no maybe this is more recent and it's, it's just really catchy the chorus is great i think yeah. it's just a really great song i think it's the best song on the album I, I, I like it and you're right it's got that beat which just makes your head nod along it's probably the most accessible track on the album as well yeah and while i've picked out highlights there the album i think needs to be listened to as a whole and it's an amazing work mm -hmm. and really does deserve to be listened to properly i don't know a lot from their earlier back catalogue as i said so the noisy days are over which i mentioned along with disappointed from common time disappointed has an incredible baseline by the way mm -hmm. and a track called i'm glad so common time i sort of know and i have been listening to it a little bit more and them that do nothing from measure on one of the older albums I think that's probably it that I really know well. Yeah. And I know that they've been played over the years on Six Music. I just, I had a dip into other albums and just couldn't find ones that I was like, oh yeah, I know this song. Yeah. You know, like you do with the first time I got a Fleetwood Mac compilation got album. It, yeah. And I just went through every track and I'm like, oh, this is them. Yeah. Oh, this. Oh, I know this one as well. And you're just like, oh yeah, actually I do know like most of the stuff on here already. I just didn't know that I knew it. Yeah. It wasn't like that. And I've not come across their music outside of that one radio station. So I don't know whether it's just they've just never really managed to dig into other areas of yeah. kind of film and radio and TV. But I've, I don't I don't really know them other than listening to Six Music. Well, the one album that I can talk about properly is the one that we did in the hidden track a little while back. Yes. Which is Flat White Moon. Yes. And that is a brilliant album. Gets off to an incredibly strong start with Orion for the Street, Do Me a Favour, and Not When You're In Love. And this one is not a concept album. It's much more about their everyday lives. A bunch of this is written in memory of their, their mother died a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And they decided they didn't want to record an album about that stuff while it was still very raw because yeah. they felt that they'd end up being very morose and not really their style so they wanted to leave it a little bit and and this feels like a lot of the music on here is more of a celebration yeah. around her rather than 
the sadness of loss. Yeah, that's there cool. is a little bit of that in there, obviously. Yeah, but there's some brilliant stuff on here. No pressure is great, and yes. there's an amazing music video on here. That's I don't know if you watched it. I yeah, I saw it. it. It's good. It's it's definitely worth watching. It's almost like a how to make a music video from a band. Yeah, it's those eighties teach yourself to play guitar, exactly. teach yourself to write yeah. songs type thing, and it's done in a very overtly cheery children's music presenter type thing from the 80s it's so funny and it's so deliberately self-deprecating but it's still quite informative as well Mm -hmm. and you you read some of the subtitles that are being thrown up on screen and they're saying like we're we're ripping off dire straits here or we're you know we're ripping off some music yeah and just just to show that you can take inspiration from another band and not feel guilty about doing it and not hide it we're talking about Beatles harmonies. So I yeah. found this out. It was something I didn't know, which is that when they're recording, they'll both sing into the same microphone. So very much in the vein of Beatles recording stuff with Lennon and McCartney, both yeah. on the same microphone. The Beatles used to do it because you could only you only had so many tracks to work with. Right. So in order to record on a four track, you had to be recording multiple things onto that one track. But yeah, it sounds great. And if you've got voices that work well together and they do harmonize well together... I can see why you would do that. Yeah. And I enjoyed the fact that their reference to a status quo guitar riff was they said uncool deliberately in the thing. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, great. It wasn't, yeah, it was status quo that I was I, I meant. But it equally could have been dire straits. So that their their sound has dire straits elements in there as well. Yeah. Uh, it is is just very funny. I'll try and remember to throw the link up mm. on Twitter and whatever when we get here. One more late on in the album called The Curtain Room is really really great as well so well worth a listen but i mean this is a band for me that their last two albums have just stepped up a whole new level and i really really like what i'm hearing from them i think for me personally they're the most underrated band at the moment and possibly musically one of the best bands of the last decade you say that you've seen them live have you seen these albums play live yeah I'd not seen them until post-pandemic. And then when I went to End of the Road, they played there, as I mentioned. So I saw them there and was... You know when you haven't seen a band and you've loved their stuff and yep. you're like, I really hope they're good live. Yes, and they were. They were amazing. And Linz, who's one of the guys that I went with, I think he'd listened to a bit of their stuff but didn't really know them. He came and saw them there. I was like, oh, these guys are really good. And then bought tickets to come and see them at the fleece in bristol because cool. i already had to i was like look if you want to see them again i'm gonna go and see them in a couple of weeks yeah. so come along and they were equally great that i think they looked very happy and had a lot of fun on stage at end of the road they maybe seemed to feel a little bit more in their element yeah in a smaller venue and i don't know maybe that is just because that's the majority of their touring i mean even then like the fleece wasn't sold out and it's not right. a massive venue we're talking like a few hundred people at most. Yep. But Big Jeff was there. And so that's the most important thing. Tell us, tell everyone about Big Jeff, just in case they don't know. We not talked about, we must have talked about Big Jeff I on this podcast before. About Big Jeff. So Big Jeff, for those who don't know, is a Bristol-based... I don't know that he likes being referred to as a legend or he's quite shy of the fame. So Jeff is a staple of the Bristol music scene because he goes to a ton of gigs. This is a man who probably averages a gig most nights. Yeah, and I think you could probably cast your net wider than that. I mean, 
the southwest of England. Right. He seems to know everything <laughs> about every single gig, gig venue. And, and as you say, he seems to be one of the most prolific gig goers I think anyone's ever heard of. And he's well loved as well. So Jeff is a big dude. He's like six foot five, maybe. And a, a broad, stocky guy with it. And he's got this mass of curly, dirty blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And so most people's first experience of Jeff is being at or near the front of a gig and having this big curly blonde hair flailing about in front of you, in your face, whatever, and being like, who's this dude? Yeah. And then you find out that it's Big, it's Jeff, big Jeff and everyone's like, oh yeah, that's Big Jeff. Like he's he's such, an, he's such a nice guy. Yep. I've chatted to him a few times in and around festivals, gigs. He's always end of the road. He's He's a man who walks around with like, probably a pound of wristbands in weight <laughs> from festivals and all sorts of things and so you'll always you'll always be able to recognize him he's a very distinctive man and just very knowledgeable you sometimes see him sketching at the front of gigs so mm-hmm. he'll take a pen and paper along and, and sketch bands or whatever i remember being i think it was the end of the road and watching nadine shah mm-hmm. and jeff had obviously been at another stage and had come over because he his head had popped up maybe two or three songs in <laughs> yeah. and she was just like oh thank god jeff's here i was really worried that you were going to be somewhere else and i was missing something really great oh brilliant bands know who he is yeah well dean loves him well i was t- saying earlier to you about steve lamack who obviously mm-hmm. is a is a legend of the the british music scene and he's now got a slot for big jeff talking yep. about music venues that have coped through the pandemic and it seems like that world out of all of the artists and musicians the the people who are involved in the music industry everyone kind of knows jeff because he's he's the uber fan yeah and people have a lot of time and respect for him because he's i mean he's got such huge music knowledge he knows teeny teeny tiny bands that no one's ever heard of he's like these are the best guys around at the moment their live shows are amazing and you go along and it's like holy shit this is a wall of noise awesomeness yeah he does have very heavy tastes so some of the stuff that he loves i'm less into because it's it's a bit overly loud for my liking but you know if if you're in bristol and you're at a gig and jeff isn't down the front there was something else somewhere else that you're missing out on yeah absolutely (laughs) so we've gone through two i mean two recent albums the most recent albums that we've ever done for a a proper podcast so is it too early to say how they've influenced you or is this is this the culmination of interest in all of the other bands that we've talked about back in the 70s and 80s and 90s and are these kind of the next logical step in a progression? The latter is definitely true. They are the next clear step for me in terms of brilliant bands that I love right now. I do think they are having an influence on me right now in terms of bands that are cropping up as oh they sound like this they sound like that yeah so xtc are a band that i have noted as need to go and spend a decent chunk of time with them because they crop up time and time again and i don't really know anything about them well i saw a couple of references to xtc and i don't know them and i right. thought i was pretty knowledgeable about my <laughs> my kind of older music so yeah i need to do some listening as well yeah so that that for me i think is where they are starting to influence me is to go and listen to bands i just i'm not aware of that yep. they have called out as influences and we talked about this with 
previous bands. Nirvana's a great one, going back and listening to the Pixies after Nirvana and getting into them. So I'm hoping that there'll be a similar kind of influence. What I'm hoping is that they continue to grow in popularity and they start to influence other musicians as well. Yeah. Because I do think they are a critics and musicians band, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It frustrates me immensely that they're not more popular, that they, you know, they should... They should comfortably be able to sell out the fleece. They should be in venues that are bigger than that, really. Yeah. It would it would annoy me to have to go to the O2 Academy in Bristol to watch them, but I'd be delighted for them if they were selling out that size of venue. Yeah, they're definitely one of the smaller bands we talked about, but but musically, they've got a very tight sound. So, But then, I, I don't know, you look at the number of albums that they've made and you kind of think, if you're eight albums in... Um, you're still only half selling out the fleece it's like are they missing a trick i don't know i wonder whether partly it's i mean you get this with bands you used to get this with bands much much more back in the day where you'd have you know think of bands like snow patrol snow patrol had five albums before they got to the one that got them famous (sighs) actually that is a great shout i would were you was it you i don't think it was you i was at glastonbury again with a friend of mine and a guy walked past in a Snow Patrol t-shirt and this is way before they were famous mm-hmm. and I said look it's a Snow Patrol t-shirt and this guy looked so chuffed and my mate were like who are they and two years later they suddenly became massive Yeah, but before then they were what they were probably about a thousand people at the stage if right. that and I only really heard of them when they released uh, what's the album with Run On yeah that one that album anyway the one the one that basically <laughs> the one that everyone knows skyrocketed them to fame but the funny thing with snow patrol there was that i listened to that album got really into them around the single that was before run they started playing that on xfm or or maybe just tracks from the album i was like oh these guys sound great and then run came out and i'd bought tickets to see them in possibly in the fleece and they went from being in the fleece to being the answers to being in the o2 academy yep just purely based on so much demand for those tickets that their whole tour just got booted up like three tiers in one go. Yeah, yeah. And so it just feels like it needs a song like that to suddenly skyrocket them to fame. Yeah, and then as soon as you've got that, you've got a back catalogue which people can dive into and, and off you yeah. go. Um, yeah, cool. But who knows? Who knows if it'll ever happen to them? There are plenty of bands out there who are immensely talented, musically brilliant, should be much bigger than they are, and yet, just never get that break yeah yeah well um, we've been to we've been to gigs where you see the support it's like oh they're good and that's it you never hear them again and the musical world is a funny one so yeah let's let's see but i'm glad you brought them here because uh, there's there's something there because all the reviews (laughs) are like these guys are good but also a lot of people do say just do you need to give them a chance and i haven't yet so maybe this podcast is a little another little tiny step forward for them and you know says go on Give them a go, like I, would, I should. I would like to think that some of our listeners off the back of this will go and have a listen to this album and be like, oh yeah, this is this is really great. And they'll get a few more. Just that little wave of extra extra support. Yeah. It'd be okay. nice. Well, that's, maybe maybe this is could be one of the, the more um, helpful podcasts in that we are actually championing a band um, who can who can go on to greater things. So yeah, well done. Good, good shout. Definitely worth bringing along and... It won't be the last time I listen to that album, for sure. Good stuff. And thank you lot for joining us again and listening to me 
passionately argue for one of my favorite bands at the moment hopefully you go and have a listen and let us know what you think if you do absolutely yeah good thanks rich well done cheers thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong